0: The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right. Hey, so like I said, we are in chapter 18. And uh, from the onset, I want to say right now, chapter breaks aren't always helpful. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. And this is one time where it's absolutely downright unhelpful. Uh, I, I do not like this chapter break. And it's like, oh, well, look at you. The reason is, is because if you took this story by itself, you would make, you'd make it say something Jesus actually isn't saying. So don't disconnect your brain from chapter 17, okay? And, and here's why. They're so closely linked, right? Yes, it's 17 and now it's 18. But if you will look at, at chapter 17, verse 22. Jesus was talking to his disciples about his second coming. And and here's what verse 22 of chapter 17 says. The days are coming when you will desire, you will long, you will, I mean, you could almost say beg for the the day when the Son of Man will return. That's the context, right? And and he's saying, and on that day, because of all this great suffering, because of this persecution, you will want to see me come again in glory. And and you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it. Okay, so that's the context, and and now he's going to jump right into essentially, so then how should we live? How should we live in light of knowing that Jesus, yes, you did die on a cross, and yes, you are going to resurrect from the grave in our context. He has risen from the grave. He ascends to the Father, and he is coming again, and he's saying, how will you live How will you live when the pressures come? How will you live when the persecution comes? How will you live when the whole world around you will hate you on account of me? How will you live? And and that's really where he goes. He's going to talk about how the disciples should live in an already but not yet kingdom. Because he's about to leave. How, How will they live? What will they do while they await the return of their king? Well, we're not left to guess because that's where he goes in chapter 18. So I'm going to read chapter 18, 1 through 8, once again. And then we're just going to start to unpack, really, what, what can we learn here, Lord? And how can we have a greater picture of you, a greater love for you? How can we magnify your grace in our lives? And how can we live in light of this truth because of the gospel? So look with me once again. Luke eighteen one through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, That's, that's our text. I, I love right off the bat, Jesus just points us to the fact that we should pray and not give up. And, and really, that, that's a major point of emphasis. But what else is going on here, right? Like, what else is Jesus getting at? I mean, truth, truth be told, disciples of Christ have a love-hate relationship with prayer. Can we just get that on the table right now? Right? Like, if, if you engage in prayer, it, it's work. It's, it's hard. It, it doesn't actually come naturally. Now, it might come naturally for you to pray for things you really, really want, but I'm talking to pray for the second coming of Christ, to, to pray for brothers and sisters across the globe who are suffering and hurting. It, it is work to engage in prayer. So right off the bat, Jesus tells us it is going to be hard. But here's the deal. Prayer is the very heartbeat of genuine Christianity. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's very natural for a baby to cry when it's born. It is very natural for a Christian to pray when a, a man or woman is born again. It is the breath of that person. It, it's actually where our faith begins to blossom in prayer. Uh, it's where our faith will actually begin to flourish is, is in prayer. And I'm talking informed by the Bible prayer right? Understanding who God is, understanding who we are, understanding the world we live in and His redeeming grace and His desire to bring sinners into salvation, to redeem them, to make all things new. But I can tell you right now from experience, it's all too often where our faith will wither and sometimes seemingly fail. I've experienced it in my own life. I mean, there are things that many people don't want to say. One of them is many people, especially Christians, they're afraid to talk about how difficult prayer is, especially persisting in prayer. It's like, how's your prayer? Oh, everything's great. We don't even generally ask the question, how's your prayer life? Because it's too, it's too intrusive. It's too personal. But there are times where if someone were to ask you, and we were to be honest, it's, it's just not great. It's just not great. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus is saying, you will have trouble with prayer. He says, pray continually, and he says, and don't lose heart, which implies you're going to lose heart. Imagine, Christians, since the the moment of the resurrection of Christ, have been called to pray for Christ to return. And he says, nevertheless, it'll be speedily when that justice comes. We're 2,000 plus years right now. You want to talk about persisting, and, and by the way, just to get to the end in verse eight, when he says, will the son of man find faith when he returns, if he returned today? Yes, because you have Christians across the globe praying for the return of Christ. That's a good thing. For 2000 years, the church has continued to pray, it has continued to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, that prayer is Jesus come. Oh, We're longing for you to return, to come. It's great to talk about baby Jesus, right? And if you're like, man, I'm so disappointed in this church. We've not gotten into Christmas texts. They're all Christmas texts because they're all Christ texts, but you're going to get your due next Sunday. Hang in there. <laughs> Woohoo! Baby Jesus, six pound, eight ounce, baby Jesus coming in flesh. But we live on the other side of the resurrection. We ought to be so much more jazzed for the second coming, for the second advent, We should be so much more excited for His return. That's we're longing for that. If you're longing for baby Jesus to come, you missed it. It happened two thousand years ago. It's good to reflect. It's good to look back. It's good to be reminded of that gospel narrative. But let it point you to the fact that He is returning. He is coming back. And the more you suffer, the more you will long for that day. Jesus says you'll have trouble. And then he tells this story. By the way, as a man, as a husband, as a pastor, definitely as a father, I'm actually able very much to relate to the challenges of persisting in prayer. I really am. And you could fill in your name and all the different hats and titles you have, and the same would be true of you. But specifically as a father, I mean, I think of, of the challenges. I remember praying for Sarah long before she was born. Uh, For three years I remember praying for this young lady. I didn't know she would be a young lady. I didn't even know we would be given a child. But I remember praying. I remember praying after she was born for all the aspects of her life, her physical health, her mental health, her spiritual health, um, growing and maturing as as a young woman and behavioral maturity and struggles and the challenges of her spiritual life. I remember praying that, Lord, there, let there never be a day that she doesn't know of your great love, and, and just that you deeply love her to the place that you would send Jesus to die for her, right? I remember praying those prayers specifically, that you would take this little seed of faith that you would grow it, that you'd let it blossom, that it would flourish, that you'd keep her from evil. I mean, prayer after prayer, I remember my wife and I just praying, and we still persist in prayer, why do I want to spend a daughter? Because she's so close to my heart. But then I can pray the same things for the church. The same things for the church. The same things for me, Lord. Cause my heart to long for you. Cause my heart to magnify your grace. Cause me to want to magnify your grace. Right? And, and over and over. But continuing prayer is hard. It's hard work. But let's not detach this text from just thinking this is about praying for anything. The context is, this is not just how that we should persist in prayer for a daughter, or for this, or for that, or for a job, or for a marriage, or for a friendship. No, those are all good, and you should persist in those things. But this prayer is speaking particularly about praying that Jesus would return, pleading that the Lord would come and bring justice to his people speedily. That's the context. That's the prayer. And, and to do this, he speaks of, of, of a, wo- a widow, a woman, going to an unrighteous judge and asking for justice. She's suffering injustices one after another from evil men in, in this world that is broken. And now she's gone to an evil man, and she's longing for, for help. She's longing for justice. She's essentially praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Well, in order to drive this point home, that's why Jesus tells the parable, right? So don't miss the point. We're going to learn about an unnamed judge, an unnamed widow, and, and she lives in an unnamed town, right? But, but look, look at it. The widow has an adversary against whom she needs justice. Widows, specifically at that time, were the most of the vulnerable. They were the most vulnerable people on the face of the earth, right? Because they didn't have a Blackburn Center. They desperately needed a community. And many times, if, if they didn't have a husband, they were put out of that community. And, and so here she is. We don't know why she needs justice, but she does. Life, no doubt, has dealt her an awful you know, hand of cards that she has to now play with. And, and it's really a bitter blow that she's trying to learn with. She's lost a husband. That's awful enough. Some of you have experienced that. But now, she has a need for probably financial support, protection. She has no protector. And widows, in this moment, she knows that she needs a judge to step in because someone's doing something of great wrong to her, and no one cares. So she goes to the judge, and the judge don't care. The judge don't care. He's very insensitive to the matter, right? And why? We're not left to, to guess. Look what it says. He neither feared God nor respected man. So for a while, he refused. He refused to help, right? This is the picture. By the way, a judge in Israel was to to image God. This man was to fear God. This man was to love justice, right? Like our God loves justice. He was to represent God, and he doesn't. As a matter of fact, this judge does the opposite of what a judge in Israel was to do. He neither loves God nor his neighbor, but this widow, she, man, she's persistent, right? She doesn't stop. She, she has been wronged. She is defenseless. And she wants a judge to put things right for her, and he will not. So she begs. And she begs. And she begs. It'd be interesting just to think about what this would look like. She probably stalked him down, wasn 't just during court, this was out in out in the the food court right he 's out to lunch with his colleagues, and there she is, staring him down, saying, "Who oh, remember me? Remember me? I know you remember me you 're going to remember me. you will not forget me i 'm expecting you do your job and continually day after day, the picture that we 're given is she beat him down like, like an MMA fight, right? I know some of you guys were up late last night watching the big old fight night or a boxing match because the word and the language that is used here is one of, it's continual beating. She has beaten him down with her words and she's expecting that he does his job. She's unrelenting in her pursuit of justice. She's unrelenting. Her Her persistence finally paid off, by the way. He's beaten. He's bloodied. He's exhausted. And look what it says. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. Why? So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. (laughs) I mean, the squeaky wheel does sometimes get the oil. This girl finally got some justice right but it's not because this man's generosity it's not because he's kind it's because she kept nagging him right if if you have if you have kids at christmas time you've experienced this right <laughs> i remember being this kid we used to get these catalogs and i would circle the different things and i would highlight different things and I, but but i knew I knew my parents would look at it, but I wanted to make sure they knew, right? So I took that, I'd rip it out, I'd sit it right where mom would drink her coffee, and I wanted her to see, and I'm like, hey, mom, did you, did you see that, that, that page ripped out of the magazine? She's like, yes, Scott, we know you want a Nintendo. I'm like, well, but I really want a Nintendo. And so, like, I would just beg until Christmas Day and hopefully get the thing I was longing for. I remember a time, Jesse desperately wanted a dog. That's almost always true of my wife, right? But this day and time, every day I would wake up, well, that's probably hyperbole, but often I'd wake up, there'd be a new dog on our kitchen fridge and there'd be like a little bubble writing and it would say, oh, aren't I a cute dog? I sure would love a home. Would you pick me up? Would you buy me? Would you bring me home? Would you, would you, would you, would you? And I, I held in there for nine months. And I'm telling you, I think that's a, that's a moral victory for me But I finally, this sounds awful, I got to a place where I was like, I can either hear my wife, I'm going to get in trouble for this, yap about a dog, or I can put in time and hear the dog yap for a few months and hopefully train it. We got a dog. And that was the worst dog we ever had, by the way. Um, We've had two good ones ever since. I just think that's the Lord blessing me because I stuck in there for nine months. Just kidding. Um, But this woman, she's persistent. She's she's longing for justice. None of that's surprising to me, right? We live in a broken world. The justice system is broken too. We must be shocked though when Jesus instructs the disciples to listen to the judge. Pay attention. He says to the disciples, pay attention to what this man is saying. Why would he say that? And he said, and he continues, and the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And then he says, and and will not. (laughs) Eventually, what what he's really getting at is he's saying, how much more? How much more? If, If an unrighteous judge will give justice to a widow he cares nothing about, how much more would your Father in heaven, who is a great judge, and who loves justice, and who loves you as his children, how much more would he not give justice to you? this is what he's getting at, who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give, he will give justice to them speedily. Oh, that word speedily caused me challenges. What possible lesson could be meant here? Well, the parable itself is pretty straightforward, right? Uh, However, I think the the main point's often missed. I think it's often misunderstood. I think it's often misapplied. Because I think what happens is many times people will take this text by itself, and they think it will teach that if we annoy God with prayer, that eventually we'll get what we want, just like the spoiled kid. You ever heard it taught like that? I absolutely have heard it taught like that, right? I I remember one sermon in particular that that basically said we should so frantically annoy God like this widow until he taps out and gives us what we want. And I'm like, "Mm, no, no. There are many theological problems with that if that's your conclusion. First of which, that's a very me-centered understanding of prayer between God and you. As if he exists, to just, like, he's a gumball machine. If you put enough prayer in there, eventually you get the thing you can chew on. I don't think that's at all what's being said here. That's a very performance-driven understanding of prayer. And I, th- and I think this happens all the time. I mean, think about it. The thought and the conclusion then would be the more that you pray, the more that I pray, the more likely it is that you'll get what you want. Is that what, is that what Jesus is teaching us here? Is that what the Bible teaches us here? I don't think so at all. Therefore, you know, prayer is a means of of essentially earning if we were to take it that way, right? Instead of a gift of remembering who God is, who we are, right? He's all powerful. He's not limited. He, He doesn't need you to fill up the prayer bank before you get the gumball. Right? That's not how he works. Prayer is about resting. It's about remembering who God is, who we are. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. He's saying, This woman's nagging this man because this man is wicked, and he's still going to do that. How much greater is your Father in heaven? You, You don't have to pull on his pant leg to bring justice, he will bring justice. It's guaranteed, it's coming trust him. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Oh, but we love control and we love formulas, right? And, and that would be about control and that would be about formulas if we did it that way. But thankfully, the, the parable of the unjust judge and the persistent widow is really just a parable of contrast. This is what an earthly judge looks like. This is what a heavenly king looks like, who's perfect in all his ways. How different it is if we think about it that way. Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. That's what he's doing, right? If this wicked and insufficient judge can be overcome and conquered by a persistent widow longing for justice, how much more will God give justice to his elect? This is what he's getting who cry to him. It's not that your prayers just hit a ceiling. He hears you day and night. And you might not be praying day or night, but his children across this globe, they are. Oh, and they're wailing. And the more you're hurting and the more you're suffering, the more you're praying, I promise you. If you have faith, if you know God, it's not in the moments where the sunshine is, is kicking in my life that I'm up at night praying. It's when I can't sleep. It's when I can't sleep that I'm longing. Oh God, help. Oh God, give mercy. Oh God, bring justice. See, we, we pray for peace on earth. Can I just tell you right now, you can't have peace on earth apart from justice. When, when you pray for peace on earth, what you're asking for is Jesus come back and make all things right. Otherwise, it's just, it's just a glimmer, it's a moment, it's a minute maybe a month. I highly doubt it. So so what's what's the point? Well, the main point that I see in this text, and it's in your map, God will provide justice for his chosen people who cry out to him in prayer day and night. He will. Rest assured, he will do it. He will do it. If you don't pray, he'll still do it. Why? Because he cannot deny himself he has to bring justice. And so because of that, then you might might be made to think, well, then why pray? Oh, because your prayers are effectual. Lord, come now. But if if you hold off, I know you well enough to know it's because there are more people you long to come and receive Christ. Oh, I know your patience is, is not just so that we can be here suffering longer. It's because you have more children that you want to bring into the kingdom. So, Lord, help me to be patient like you're patient. Oh, Lord, take your time, but please hurry up. I mean, that's a weird prayer, but that's a, you get that. You get that if you, if you have people who you love who don't know the saving work of Christ in a, in a saving way. They might have information, but they don't trust him. Take your time. But then there's days where it just doesn't end and you're just like, come now. Come now. I mean, the point is that our God is much better than this unjust judge who is unloving, who is evil, who is ungracious, who is merciless. Our Father in heaven, oh, church, He's loving, He's good, He's gracious, He's merciful, He's compassionate, He sees you. He hears you, he loves you, and he is just. He is holy. He is perfect. And so if this judge secures justice for this widow, then we can rest assured that he will absolutely secure justice for his namesake and for all. For all. It will happen. This world will confess Jesus as king, as Lord. It will either be because they see him, know him, and love him. But, but I think we just heard in Philippians say, every knee will bend, every tongue will confess. So you will either glorify him for his mercy or for his justice. But make no mistake about it, no one has a choice whether they glorify God. Nobody. But we want everybody that we know, and people we don't know, to magnify His grace and His love. And this is what what God longs for. And so when we pray, Lord, come, what we're asking for is, is bring justice, bring peace. The peace we have between God and man right now because of the Lord Jesus, we want in real time, fully. That's what we're asking for when we pray, and we can be assured that He will do this. In context, it's not primarily about persisting in prayer, although that's a good secondary application. It's much more about the character of our God. It's it's much more about His promise to do what His Word says. This is why it's so important to read the Bible. You cannot know God truly apart from knowing His Word, because in His Word where He reveals Himself to us. Otherwise, what you'll do is you'll just make God in your own image. And this happens all the time. And we must know the character of God because that will inform our prayers. Right? So this is why we go to the Word. But, But don't miss it. Don't miss the question that Jesus ends with. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when He returns for a second time, when He comes to bring justice, when He comes to bring peace fully, finally, and forever, will He find faith on earth? I, I don't think He means saving faith, actually. In this context, I think He means that, will, will He find His people praying? Will he, will he, pr- prayer and faith, that go together so much. Will they be still longing for me? Or will they just say, uh, it's not happening. Uh, Imagine, and we were just, uh, what, 18 months ago, we're talking about Jesus being born at the beginning of Luke. We had 400 years of silence. Do you think people had quit praying and crying out to God? Maybe, but we were introduced to some saints at the beginning of Luke who were crying out. They were still praying. They were still longing, God, help us to be those people for however long we live until you return. Let us be a people that are crying out to you in prayer, through song, in preaching, in the way that we live. And let's not pretend as though he's not returning. Well, because when he says, Don't you're going to be tempted to lose heart, that's what he's talking about. You're going to be tempted to lose heart. So many people go to church and have actually lost heart and don't really believe Jesus is coming back, but they need some friends. Well, Don't let that be you. This isn't some game we're playing. This isn't just motions we're going through. And if it is, if that's where you're at, that's fine to be there. It's not okay to stay there. You need to ask God for forgiveness and to give you a heart of anticipation. What you do in your life right now matters. It matters. People see the way you live. They see, is this person really longing for Jesus or are they longing for a vacation? If you're like me, you're longing for both, (laughs) but it's not even close. Take away all my vacations. Give me Christ. What has your affections? Have you lost heart? Have you just cashed in the chips and said, well, maybe he'll return? Probably not. Oh, don't lose heart. And if you have, engage your heart in worship. And I don't just mean singing on Sunday morning, although that can be a beautiful thing and is a beautiful thing. I'm talking worship as your whole body, mind, heart, soul, strength. Lay yourself down as a living sacrifice and say, oh, God, teach me your ways. Remind yourself of the gospel. And and Lord, create in me a clean heart. I have lost heart. Give me heart. Give me heart. Help me. Right? This is what it means to engage. Because he's asking, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will I find people anticipating my return? That's what he's asking. And I want us to be a people that anticipate his return. Church family, we worship a God who demands justice. He demands it. He's sympathetic to the plight of his people. He sees the suffering. He's not indifferent to it. He sees it. He hates it. He longs to bring justice. He has promised to bring full and final vindication. And and may we, by God's grace, come boldly to the throne of grace and and pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, Lord, let that be the cry of our heart. Because when we say your kingdom come, we're saying bring justice. We're saying bring peace. Bring order to the chaos that I see. To the chaos I maybe create. Lord, I need your kingdom to rule my heart and one day it will, you will rule all in a way that is so tangible. Help me to think like this. Help me to pray like this, Lord. And know that you're not dealing with an apathetic God. You're not dealing with a distant deity. You're, you're dealing with a father who knows your suffering intimately. He came and he suffered and he loves you and he will bring justice. He desires to bring justice and yet he's patient. We're praying to a loving, caring father who has promised deliverance. Romans 12:19 says this: beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, this is good news. I mean, do you think of your father as a perfect judge? Because he is, he's a perfect king. He can be trusted to make all things right. By the way, this justice or vindication also includes vengeance. We don't like to think about God like this often. But this text demands that we do. The idea that God is going to bring justice and vindication to his people means that he has to bring vengeance upon his enemies. He, ha- he has to. And if, if you're like, I don't like to think about God like that, too bad. Change your mind because he, he demands we think like this. This is the imagery we get. He is a king bringing in a better kingdom. Now, he's a kind king. He's given everyone a really long time to seek and receive a pardon and to come into the kingdom. The price has been paid. Just receive. But there are people who will not bend knee, will not confess king, and they don't want to. They harden their hearts. He has to bring justice. He will bring justice justice. And when he does, God will put all things right for his people by striking down all those who have wronged his people. You might not like it, but it's good news. This justice or vengeance is, is something that often believers try to pull off for ourselves. We seek vengeance many times, right? I've seen this all throughout history. I know my own heart, though, I just know my own heart. This is what we do. But, but that's not what the Bible teaches here. We're to wait for God to bring this vengeance. And he will. And he'll do it perfectly, unlike us. Right? It's one thing to be angry. It's another thing to allow your anger to, to fester. Right? Because when we do that, it's not good. It literally gives an opportunity to Satan. We're to forgive. We, we don't need to get even. There is one who cares for us and for this world. And he will make sure that there's absolutely perfect justice. This means that we're free. Listen, we're free to leave room for God's wrath. Just like the Romans text says. Because we know that he will do this. Remember, the cross shows how seriously God takes sin. We should never trifle with sin. We should never think, "Ah, that's not a big deal. It'd be like playing with a baby rattlesnake, hoping it never grows up and bites you. I'm talking to the children of God, those who have received the forgiveness of God. We should never entertain it. Why? Because it actually seeks to destroy you, and it is the reason that Jesus went to the cross. He he freed you so you could live a life of righteousness, and you are righteous, and he wants to see that righteousness take place in your heart and your mind and to live the fruit of that out so that we can resemble him. Here's the thing. Isaiah thirty. 18 says this, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Church, let us be found waiting. And I don't mean twiddling our thumbs. I'm talking actively waiting, actively praying, actively living, and participating in all the work that he is doing. Because part of the problem is that for many of us who struggle with the thought of God being a God of justice, right? Part of the problem of that is. That We've been brought up many times with bad teaching where we have been brought into the lie that if we live righteous lives, lives according to the clear understanding of the world, then, then if we read our Bibles, if we go to church, if we give generously, we won't suffer. Have you ever heard that lie? It's taught often. And, and I can tell you right now, if that's true, Jesus should get a refund. I mean, he lived a perfect life. God ordained that Jesus would go to the cross, that he would suffer. Jesus didn't have to have his arm twisted. He said, yes, Father, for the joy that is set before me, I will go and endure the cross so that people who deserve our wrath can receive the grace and the gift of forgiveness and righteousness. I will go pay the price that they deserve to pay. I will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But, but here's the deal, the deal. The reason it's a problem that we've been brought up into these lies is that if we do the right things, we won't suffer. What it teaches is that as if righteousness and suffering are somehow incompatible. Jesus is perfect, and he suffered. So what would ever make us think for a moment that if I just do the right things that you and I won't suffer? You will suffer. It, God has promised it. And as a matter of fact, it is the one main instrument that God allows to bring about righteousness in our lives. It's the one thing that causes us to go to the throne of grace more often than not. It's the one thing that causes us to take our eyes off ourselves, to look to the God who suffered in our place so that we would not suffer for all of eternity. And and so... They're not incompatible, which means that you and I need to have a theological category for righteous suffering. We need that. We need that to survive. There are times where you will suffer, and it's to no fault of your own. There are times where you will suffer, and it is because of foolish decisions you've either made or people have made around you. But there are times, I mean, all throughout the Bible, that's why it's so important that we read through the Old Testament, we'll see Joseph and all these different men and women who suffered for righteousness' sake. Now, now why does this matter? Because those folks are the ones that are longing, oh, Christ, return. Now. Bring justice now. This is what we long for. And, And you don't have to go back in time to see this. All throughout the globe, there are people who suffer right now for righteousness' sake. Because they love Jesus. Because they love Jesus. Here's two very scaled-down stories. Because they are so violent, I didn't even feel comfortable reading some of it to you. But I'm going to give you a couple. And, and the reason we need to do this the reason we need to look at stories across the globe and throughout history is because if you don't, I think it's like smelling salts to you, to wake you up, to, to, to not think that somehow Christianity is just an add-on to your life so that you got a couple friends and, you know, forgive us for this kind of trifling with, with a holy God. So, so here's the two stories. In Lahore, Pakistan, Amir, and I, forgive me for not getting these names right, (laughs) Amir Mesh, a gardener and a Christian, went to the police station. There had been a minor theft at his employer's home, and Amir went voluntarily to the police to give a statement that would clear his name. But Amir died as a result of torture inflicted by the police they tried to force a confession for him, for an offense that he did not commit. Amir's brother said that the police then urinated on Amir while cursing him for being, listen, a Christian. One more. Um, Susan Dear Kirkor, 60, a Syrian Christian, a retired school teacher who had remained in that now largely desolated land and in her village for the sake of her pupils. But one July day, Islamic militants took her, did unspeakable things to her repeatedly, torturing and stoning her to death. Post-mortem examination indicated her ordeal had gone on for about nine hours. This is just two stories out of, I mean, just tons. I mean, just tons. And God sees this every day, all of it. And he doesn't look away from it. And he hates it. So when we, when we say, oh Lord, how long? How long? We say that with the, the thought of our brothers and sisters across the globe that are suffering. And I'm not minimizing cancer. and I'm not minimizing any of these things. Those are real sufferings, right? Our bodies are failing because of the fall. I'm, but I'm talking specifically now to Christians who are suffering because they love Jesus Christ. And so we join the martyrs in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, where they say, with a loud voice, they cry out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? Oh God, come. How long? We're to weep with those who weep. It's real easy to detach yourself from these things, but these stories are one of many. We we have friends in Israel right now, and there are are Pakistanian and Palestinian Christians who are also suffering, and we pray with them. We pray for them, but we do ask for justice of all that's happening right now, but we will not get full and final justice until King Jesus returns. That's why we cry out day and night. That's why we engage in this prayer. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, and this is where we finish. Listen to the words. The Apostle Peter is speaking to those Christians who are suffering, listen, for doing good. It's real important we get the context. They're, they're not just suffering in a vacuum. They're suffering because they are doing good. And here's what he says in 1 Peter two twenty one through 25. For to this you have been called to this suffering for righteousness' sake. Just think about that for a minute. I thought if I came to Jesus, my life would get better. In one infinite way, it does. And in many other ways, it might not. It might. It might in a thousand ways. But if you're following Christ, I'm telling you, eventually, it will come for you. People will hate you because you love Jesus. And he says, you've been called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. What's the example? So that you might follow in his footsteps. What do those footsteps look like? He says, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But listen to this, this sentence. But he continued entrusting himself to him, to his father who judges justly. This, that's the example. Jesus never sinned. You and I can't say that. Everybody in here is a sinner, right? Jesus never sinned. He had every reason to speak up on his behalf and make his voice known. He chose to close his mouth like a lamb that closes his mouth. It's led to the slaughter. And he entrusted the evil and the injustice to his father who judges justly perfectly. What I'm not saying is that you should stand by while evil things are done against you. Let's be very clear. If someone's abusing you, if someone's hurting you, you can and should seek justice here, now. If you need help, talk to me. Talk to Pastor Kevin. We will gladly help guide you. What I'm not saying, though, is that you ought to seek vengeance. There's just no room for it. No, we seek to bless when people curse. We seek to love when people hate. We love our enemies, why? Because we were once enemies, and Christ loved us and died in our place to make enemies like us his children. This is what it means to follow Jesus in his footsteps. It's rough stuff. and the closer you get to him, the more you will pray, "Oh come, Lord Jesus, come now." And he continues. look at his, as he continues, because he gives us the gospel, and this is where we where we land the plane. See, the gospel promises us justice. That's good news. It it reminds us that we're not the ones that give it, though. Not fully, not finally, not forever. And, And if we can trust God with our salvation, and we can, then surely we can trust God to do all things right to all the wrong that has been done he is going to make all things new. He's going to renew everything. He's going to wipe away every tear. He will press them out of your eyes, and you'll be with him forever when he brings his kingdom in full. So if we can trust him, then we can face unjust suffering. We can. He'll help us. He's not left us alone. He's given us his spirit, to dwell in us, to endure, to the end, right? And so we don't have to give retaliation. Why? Because we, we have no need to take justice into our own hands like vigilantes. That's not what he's asking us to do. Why? Well, because we can leave it to God. And the gospel is so informative to this discussion because he has dealt with our sin and suffering in Christ. Look at the language of the text as it continues. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have, we have experienced real healing healing the between the relationship between God and man there will be a day you'll experience all healing perfectly fully finally not yet not yet woke up this morning hip hurt doesn't mean god doesn't love me you have been healed if you've experienced salvation by faith in Jesus Christ the greatest need you had was forgiveness and righteousness, he provided that. He healed the relationship that was broken between God Almighty and sinful you by becoming sin. That's what he's saying in this text. By his wounds, we've been healed. For you, listen, we're like straying sheep, wandering, right? But have now returned to the shepherd and to the overseer of your soul. The purpose of Jesus' death was to put an end to sin and to free us as a people to live in righteousness, to pray for justice, and we should certainly resemble our Father in heaven who longed for that in this city and in this world. By his death on a cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, for the sins of the world, and now he offers forgiveness to people through repentance. Saying, I'm done living my own life. I'm now going to to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. You will be my righteousness. You are my shepherd. I'll follow you. I trust you. And he's the overseer of our souls. And so what do we do in the midst of suffering? It's, It's right here. We meditate on our Savior, not our suffering. And we pray. And you're going to lose heart. That's why you need friends. That's why you need missional community groups. It's it's why you need community when people will say, I know you're weary. I I know your prayer life is in the the trash can. Let let me pray for you. Let's get together. Let's pray together. Maybe set timers. I don't know what you do. I'm not trying to figure that out. I have tons of ideas. If you ever need them, I'm glad to give them. But don't lose heart. Your king is coming back, and he's bringing justice. And it's way better than the old tombstone quote, right? Because his his justice is perfect. And, And he's not bringing hell with him. You should not fear hell. You should fear God's wrath. That is hell. And it's perfect. And he's poured it all out on his son so that you will never experience not one ounce of it. Trust him. Believe in him. Worship him, enjoy him, sing to him, pray to him. Gladly lay down your life in glad submission to him because it's the best life. Let's pray. Now, Father, what a weighty text you have given us. And the question of nevertheless, will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? The question is not whether you actually respond to our prayers, but Lord, will we respond to you and to your request for us to pray? Will we trust your faithfulness? Will we trust your promises? Will we be found praying? Lord, help us. (laughs) It's a daunting thing when we think about all the weight and all the sin and all the suffering across the world, and yet we we are so full of hope when we look at the cross, when we look at the empty grave, when we think about you returning and bringing true righteousness forever fully. And finally, when we think about you wiping away all tears, when we think about you wiping away the tears that have been caused to us, but the ones that we have caused because we have hurt people and we have been hurt. And Jesus, you, you see all things perfectly. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us to be an expectant people, that we'd be an anticipating people, that we would long for your return, that we would fan into flame in our own lives and in the lives of those who come in contact with us, that we would live with such a, an aroma of heaven that people come in contact with us, say, they know something I don't, and that we would be kind to share good news to a hurting, lost world. Lord, help us to live these lives of of true righteousness. Father, we thank you that we have perfect righteousness by faith alone, in Christ alone, because you've given it to us. And so we can come boldly, and we can continue to pray, and we can continue to trust you because you've done it all. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we ask for this and so much more. In Christ's beautiful name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons Find out more information about For the City or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.